we've reached the final conclusion of the ultimate doom and we're going to get into the ultimate doom part three on this energon entries Welcome back to Energon Entries, everybody. As always, this is your host, Matt Freights. I hope that this finds you well. I want to thank you and welcome you back to the podcast or just welcome you in general if this is your first time. And let's get into part three of The Ultimate Doom. This is episode 13 of season one of the Generation One Transformers cartoon. The episode opens with a recap by the narrator of Sparkplug sounding the alarm on Spike and the Autobots in Shockwave's lair. The Autobots escape with the Hypnochip and make it to Wheeljack's lab to analyze it. On Earth, Megatron and the Decepticons are building a hydroelectric generator to harness energy from the tidal waves that have been created by Cybertron's orbit. Secretly, Dr. Arkaville and Starscream make their own plans apart from Megatron. On surfboards, Optimus and a group of Autobots infiltrate the hydro generator, but are unable to prevent Megatron from leaving with the harvested Energon cubes. Starscream saves an abandoned Dr. Arkaville, and on Cybertron, Wheeljack creates a device that will disrupt the Hypnochips. The Autobots rescue Sparkplug using this new device and make it back to Earth with all of the Witwickies in tow. On the island, Megatron and Starscream are both trying to execute their own plans, Megatron using his slaves, and Starscream attempting to make Energon cubes using Dr. Arkaville's neural energy. The Autobots attempt to attack but are outnumbered. Skyfire and crew arrive from Cybertron, and Wheeljack is able to disable the Hypnochips with his new device. Despite this, Megatron is able to escape after another tidal wave disrupts the battle. As Megatron flies away, the Autobots realize they need to push Cybertron away from Earth. They do so by shooting at Megatron's shuttle and trigger an Energon Cube explosion. This explosion works, and Cybertron is knocked out of Earth's orbit. The episode ends with Megatron in space among the shuttle's debris, vowing revenge. Of course, since this is a three-parter, we start with a narrator recap. Tidal waves and earthquakes in the wake of Cybertron's new orbit. Braun and Bumblebee, the smallest Autobots, somehow take out six Decepticons at once. And Braun, man, comes with the jokes. He comes with the puns. He may be one tough son of a bitch, but he is a funny son of a bitch, I'll tell you that. Skyfire and the Autobots to the rescue. Although only Skyfire seems to be the only one to have a weapon, doesn't really seem smart. This is one of those things the Autobots seem to do. They go unprepared most of the time into a battle, and we don't actually see them be as prepared as the Decepticons. The Decepticons always seem to have everything that they need. The Autobots are almost like, eh, we'll see what happens when we get there. But Skyfire is ready to go. He is always ready. Shockwave in gun form as a weapon for the first time? I know we've seen him transformed, I think, in one of the first three episodes or maybe even episode four. I'm talking about transforming to use himself as a weapon against somebody else. I believe when we saw him transformed the only other time, it was on Cybertron when he was losing power. This time he transforms and tries to shoot the Autobot contingent that have infiltrated his lab. Never seen that before. I can definitely say that. There's a fun, high-speed Cybertronian chase, and the Decepticons seem to have control of all the weapons and defensive systems on the planet. I would assume that the Decepticons have full control of Cybertron at this point, as the war has led them to this point. They have all the weapons, they have all the defense. 
It's amazing the Autobots can get anywhere without getting shot, but they do, and they get to Wheeljack's lab. We see his lab for the first time, and I have noticed a trend. Every single Autobot room seems to be like that orangey gold in color, and every Decepticon room is either purple or some type of gray. It's drab. That's the way the bases are. That's the way the labs and the different parts of Cybertron are. Not really sure how the Decepticons haven't gotten into Wheeljack's lab. I would assume he's got a coat on it, but still, they're pretty smart. It's just funny that all of those rooms are gold, but it is, from a continuity perspective, cool. So the Autobots have to get to this new generator, and they do so by surfing, lol. That seems to be something that they should fly to. If anybody has ever watched surfing competitions, you know the larger the wave, the more chaotic it is. And I don't see how the Autobots can do that. Like, there's just something funny about it. And the visual of them surfing, the visual of them riding these waves, it was very California, very cowabunga. I don't know. It just seems like a really bad plan. Where did they get them? Where did they even start? Because in order for you to be surfing, you have to have caught a wave in the first place. I don't know that they caught a wave. They didn't seem to be automated or self-propelled. So I don't understand how they're even working. But hey, this is the plan that they have chosen. And somehow on surfboards, they're outpacing this massive wave. Those are pretty amazing surfboards, if you ask me. The continued slave commentary by the Decepticons is mildly disturbing or at least uncomfortable in a way. I've talked about this the last two episodes, the use of the word slaves. Whenever it comes up, I know that I feel a little bit of discomfort. But again, this is an 80s cartoon and you have to think about it from that lens. I don't think that they're going to bleep anything out. There certainly is not any malcontent behind these words. It's just something that when I think about it through today's prism, it would make people uncomfortable. But in the 80s, it just was pretty commonplace. So it has been left in. Dr. Arkaville, even though he is misguided in what he wants from this plan, he wants to take over the Earth after Megatron is done. He sees the strife between Megatron and Starscream and realizes that it may need to be exploited. If Megatron can't be trusted, perhaps he can align himself with Starscream, who is always trying to take over. But one thing Dr. Arkaville doesn't seem to know is that Starscream fails pretty much every time. So if you're going to align yourself with somebody, you might as well align yourself with Megatron because, sure, you're going to get an Earth that's completely depleted, but Megatron is usually successful right up until the end. Starscream, all of his plans seem to fall apart very early, and then he has to come crawling back to Megatron. The thing is, Dr. Arkaville would not be kept by Megatron because we know the Decepticons and Megatron more specifically, they don't see humans as equals. They would kill any human that they need to. So Dr. Arkaville is looking at this and thinking, how can I better my situation by aligning with one of these two and playing off of their strife? So the Autobots' plan to surf their way to this hydroelectric generator causes them to be nearly crushed because the tidal wave crashes them into the generator and they're all discombobulated. They don't have any of their weapons. And I ask again, why can't they fly? Can they? We've seen them fly before. Why can't they now? It would seem to be a little bit more efficient to fly somewhere instead of just riding a surfboard. Just an observation. I don't know if they actually can. And somebody who's listening who may be a little bit more into the canon, a little bit more into the lore can let me know. But it seems odd. So this plan that they hatched, which seemed ingenious. Oh, we have surfboards. It's wonderful. They forgot to take into account that this giant ass tidal wave is going to crash them into their destination. It does so. And guess what? They aren't able to actually fight because they're discombobulated. They're a little bit stunned. But luckily for them, Megatron puts way too much trust in Starscream 
And I have to ask, as a leader, I did say last time or one of the few episodes before that maybe Megatron is better at strategic planning than Optimus Prime. But I think that the weaknesses between the two, Optimus Prime has a weakness for humans, which there's a lot of humans on Earth, so he's going to have to deal with that. But I think Megatron's true weakness is that he keeps Starscream around. Why does he keep trusting him? I'm not sure. There's really no answer. It's not as if he needs his weapons. He seems to be able to get along just fine with everybody else. There's something about Starscream that is a weakness for Megatron, and it puts them in bad positions. Now, Trailbreaker is really, really large as a vehicle in his robot form. He looks really beefy. He looks really large. But whenever he transforms into his vehicle, and I don't know if this is an animation quirk or not, he's just as small as Braun. How are two vehicles almost exactly the same size, at least in animation and at least in that perspective, how are they so different in their robot height? I'm not really sure about that. An animation quirk shows up as there are two sky warps standing right next to Shockwave. Now, one thing I don't know is are these actual seekers or are these Cybertronian seekers? So if they're not actual seekers, they're not sky warp or Starscream or Thundercracker, and they're just Cybertronian seekers, I guess they can be whatever color they want. So that actually might not be a mistake. I just have noticed that the seekers on Cybertron don't differ too much from each other. So perhaps this is just something that's commonplace and I've just missed it over the course of these episodes. Wheeljack in his lab creates this device and it's basically a lunchbox. He's going to use a lunchbox to save Sparkplug. Spike is celebrating this whole thing and it's like, dude, they just invented this contraption. Maybe actually have it work before you celebrate, but they're witwickies and Spike is always in trouble and always seems to be bailed out. So Shockwave is a custodian for Cybertron and yet always has people getting into his base. He's kind of like the Decepticon version of Teletran 1. He might want to have a little bit of tighter security. And I also want to know that when we get back to Earth, how did the Autobots get to this island that the Decepticons landed on without flying? Their surfboards were crushed. How'd they get there? They can't drive there because there's water everywhere. So maybe they can fly, or this is just one of those weird continuity holes. Wheeljack's lunchbox... It works, and it works from high in the sky. Skyfire is able to come by, and this thing seems to have a really long range, and all the slaves are free, just like that, with Wheeljack's lunch. It's pretty awesome. And Megatron, much like Shockwave, we talked about how we hadn't seen Shockwave transform and actually use himself as a weapon. Megatron can shoot himself in gun form? Is this possible? And if not, why doesn't he do it all the time? Because every time he transforms, he needs either Soundwave or Starscream to use him, and really only those two, or... He needs to be attached to one of the Seekers, and he shoots by himself here. This seems like something he'd want to do most of the time, and yet this is the first time we've been seeing it. So Megatron leaves all the Decepticons, and it's funny because it's like, okay, so your plan has come to fruition. You're like, I'm successful. I'm leaving. I'm going to Cybertron. So who's going to help him rule Cybertron? Is he going to do it by himself? He can't do it by himself. I guess you have Shockwave and all the other Decepticons that are theoretically there, but you're going to leave all of your guys that helped you do this down there? See what I'm saying? Megatron may be a great leader in strategic planning, but when it comes to some of this stuff, not really the greatest. And the Autobots just happen to make a Starship explode with just their laser pistols. Sure, I'll buy that. The plan is, hey, let's shoot the Energon cubes, which are inside the shuttle, and if they blow up, they're going to actually make it so that this explosion is so large, it's going to knock an entire planet out of its orbit. Sure, that sounds like 80s logic, and I'm kind of here for it. And how does Megatron survive this? He seems to survive everything. He's indestructible. And we're going to get to some stuff later in which he's not indestructible. But here, he survives this massive explosion, which makes it so that a planet is blown out of orbit. But he's fine. He just has a couple of burn marks, some ash on him. He's good. And he vows revenge. It was a good three-parter. 
introduced some new concepts. Obviously, you saw where some of the Bayverse stuff came from. Some of the usual fare, animation quirks, voice quirks, puns, just all the typical stuff that you'd hear or see in an 80s cartoon. But I think as a three-parter, it got a lot done. In the end, though, it's the same thing. Whether it's one episode or three, Decepticons do stuff. Things happen in the middle. Autobots save the day, no matter how it is that they get to that conclusion. And that's what you see here. So I enjoyed it. What did you think of this episode? What do you think of the show so far? I'd love to hear from you, MaddieIceMedia at gmail.com. But for the most part, the best way that you can support this is just continue listening, share when applicable, hit subscribe on whatever podcast app that you use, and just keep coming back for more. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope this finds you well and safe, and I'll talk to you next time. This is Energon Entries. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Energon entries are those of Matt Freights and his guests and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Energon entries is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.